Well, good morning, church. Uh, it is a joy to be back. Uh, it's been a number of weeks at the beginning of the summer when I was here and we opened God's Word together. And so now we get to do that again today. And so if you have a Bible, I'd love for you to take that out. We're going to be looking today, as uh, we already heard, in the Gospel of Luke, uh, where we find a number of different parables. And today, in Luke chapter 8, uh, we will come to the parable of the sower. It's called the parable of the sower, if there's a title in your Bible. Sometimes we know this as the parable of the soils, uh, because it's easy for us to want to make this parable something applicable in our lives. Uh, But my goal for us today, as we look in Luke chapter 8, 4 through 15, is that we would see that this parable is maybe just as much about the soils, our natural default, as it is rightly about the fact that the sower has sown seeds of salvation through a Savior. How's that for all those S words, right? And we're going to look at a number of them today. So Luke chapter 8, uh, verses 4 through 15, is where where we're going to find the parable. Now, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, uh, they're known as the synoptic gospels because much of their gospel accounts are paralleled with each other. Uh, What we find is they often tell the same stories. And so when you come to a parable like we are today, sometimes the challenge is, well, which one is the best telling of that parable? Uh, Which one should we open to? Which one should we look at? And the answer, I think, to that question is that they're all best because they all tell a different perspective. Uh, They tell their eyewitness account or they tell a certain theme through how they're building their gospel letter that we are able to read together as we account for all these stories. So today, obviously, we're in Luke, and Luke is going to tell us his perspective of the parable of the sower when Jesus was teaching this. Now, if you look in verse 4, as we're getting ready to begin, I'm going to read the first number of verses, and then we're going to pray together. What we're going to find, church, is that we have an ever-popular and growing popular Jesus. He's been starting to teach parables, and he's been performing miracles, and people are wondering, who is this person? Uh, Maybe some are thinking he's nothing like we've ever heard or seen before. Maybe some of them are just intrigued because they heard from someone, a friend or a family member or a coworker, about what Jesus has done. And so they're intrigued and they want to come and they want to see and they want to hear. And so today Jesus tells them a parable as the crowds gather. Let's read verses 4 through 8. And then as I mentioned, I would love for uh, us to be able to pray together and just ask that God would move today in our lives. So Luke chapter 8. Uh, Verse 4, let me read this. Hear now the word of God. And when a great crowd was gathering and people from town after town came to him, he said in a parable, a sower went out to sow his seed. And as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot. And the birds of the air devoured it. And some fell on the rock. And as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. And some fell among thorns. And the thorns grew up with it and choked it. And some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. As he said these things, he called out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Let's pray together. So Father, today I just pray along those words that we heard from Jesus Christ, the Son of God, that you would give us ears to hear. Father, with your word open today, we don't want our own thoughts, we don't want our own agenda, our own opinions, we want to hear from you. And so God, I pray that now as we look at this parable and as we unpack it together, by your spirit, you'll be moving in our lives to help us see, to help us hear, that you move in us to change us, 
that we would then live our lives to follow you. So God, maybe if there's parts of this parable today, this passage that we don't understand, help us understand. If there's parts of this parable today that we've heard before, remind us anew and afresh about how beautiful your word is. Would you speak a word to us? Maybe some of us here today, God, have never heard the name of Jesus. And I pray that even in this parable too, we think about who he is and how beautiful the kingdom of God is. And so would you do that in us? Would you move in us? Do what we are unable to do in ourselves. And so our words here from the Bible are open that you've given to us. Would our ears be open as well? And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. So church, as we're seeing in verse 4 here, Jesus is gathering with crowds, right? We can see that in verse 4. If you look in your Bible in verse 4, it says crowds from town after town come to Jesus. And so there's a multitude of people, as we mentioned, that want to see and hear Jesus. And he gathers them together. In fact, in Matthew and Mark, we read in their accounts of this parable that Jesus gathers by the shore and he gathers with the people and then he gets into one of Peter's empty fishing boats and he puts out from the shore a little bit and maybe turns around the boat to face the shore in something that we know today is called Sower's Cove. I want to show you a picture of what Sower's Cove uh, looks like on the screen for us. And this was a place here on the Sea of Galilee where people believe Jesus taught many of his parables. Maybe some of you have even been here before as you've traveled. And so Jesus faces that little cove, that little inlet there of the multitudes, the crowds of people, because they want to hear him, and he begins to teach them. And so he sits down, and he begins to tell this parable that we just read in verses 4 through 8. Now, as Jesus is going through the snare with the sower, it's sown seeds, and it falls on different types of ground. Look at verse 8 at how Jesus concludes the telling of this parable. Jesus says to them, after he talks about the good soil, as he said these things, he called out, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now, just imagine you're there that day. You've gathered with the crowds, maybe too. You want to hear about Jesus. Maybe someone told you, hey, I'm going to see this guy. You got to come and, and maybe he's going to do something incredible. And so you will follow along and you find yourself there and you get your seat and you're ready for Jesus to begin and, and you're trying to pay attention. And it's a place where you could easily hear Jesus from this cove, just the way that it's naturally constructed. But, but you're intentionally listening. And then the person over here on your left is kind of jostling to find a seat. Maybe they've come a few minutes late and, and the person over here is sneezing and you're wondering, oh, maybe they're sick and am I going to get sick from being in this crowd of people? And, and then over on this side over here, someone's coughing and, and then a parent's trying to keep their kid's attention over on this section and, and then a kid is crying over here and they're trying to keep their kid from crying too loud and then you're wondering, hey, this feels like church. <laughs> but imagine you're there and you're trying to listen. And Jesus tells this parable, and then at the end of the parable, he says something like, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. He's telling you to do something that you are doing. You're trying to do this. And as one commentator puts it, he says, almost everyone has ears to hear. Why then would Jesus be intentionally asking people to listen to him in a situation when they're already pressing in and striving to comprehend the heart of what his teaching is? Church, I would suggest to us today that one of the reasons why Jesus says this is because it's possible for us to hear, but not to truly listen. 
It's possible for us to hear over and over and over and even know all the answers and not to have truly heard. Maybe to have grown up in church and you've heard the stories and you know the person of Jesus and yet Jesus says to you, he who has ears to hear, let him truly hear. Let her truly hear. Hear me, see me for who I am. So today as we unpack this parable, church, I want us to hear three things in our passage today as we move through each of these sections. I want us to truly hear three things. And so the first one is this. If you keep notes, you feel free to write these down or if you want to just track a bit of an outline. The first thing in this first section I want us to hear is that the word has come. The word has come. We see this in verses 4 through 8. And here's what we mean by this. So much of Jesus' parables was gathering people together and beginning to reveal to them who he was. It was about Jesus showing power and, and teaching so that people would draw in and would want to truly hear, and they would want to know more about who this Christ was, that he was teaching and displaying signs of authority and power. And so today as we are revealed, we hear again another parable where Jesus was cleverly taking something very relevant in their lives, helping them understand one major truth or theme, and then allowing them personally to apply it all to their lives in a different way. That's really what a parable was. It was a way of Jesus teaching one major truth and then allowing personal application to just break down for everyone listening or, or hearing that parable to say, well, this is what it means for me. And then the person beside you in the next row says, well, this is what it means to me. And the person in the back that came late says, well, this is what it means to me. So I want us to see together for point number one that, that the word has come. And Jesus is beginning to help people understand what that means. Now, even as we begin from the same place today, and then as we work through this parable, we're going to find different ways of application for everyone listening. I want us to make sure that we are seeing in these first few verses a common or a similar starting place. So I want to put some definitions on the screen for us that we begin to understand as Jesus teaches this so that we understand a breakdown of what this parable is about. So maybe we can put the first definitions on the screen for us just to look at some of the different characters and what Jesus is teaching. If you look in your Bible, obviously we're introduced in our passage today with this character, a sower. Now, in Matthew's account, a little bit later after the parable, he tells us very explicitly, the sower in this parable is the son of man. And the son of man, as we interpret from the Gospels, is Jesus himself. All right? So as a starting place, the son of man, Jesus, is telling the parable about himself. And then we're introduced in our parable to something called seed. And seed, even in a couple verses later in Luke, it's going to say the seed is the word of God, which we know as salvation. So the sower, Jesus, is telling a parable about himself, how salvation or his word has come. And then we're introduced to something called the soil today in our uh, parable, or hearers, or hearts, or us. So that's the starting place that we're going to come. And then we're going to leave that, and it's going to begin to apply into our lives differently. But we have to be able to agree on these things as we're starting to uh, interpret uh, this parable together. And so with that in mind, think of Jesus then telling a parable about himself. Uh, Much of his ministry, as I mentioned, was coming to the crowds and the people here on earth and helping them understand he was the son of man. He was ushering in the kingdom of God here on earth. So heaven comes down to earth 
and says, here's how you can be a part of the kingdom of God. And by the way, here's what the kingdom of God is like. It's different. It's backwards. It's not what you would expect. It's beautiful. It's bold. It changes lives. It calls you to lay down everything in your life if you want to be a part of it. This was part of Jesus' ministry, helping people understand the kingdom and how the king of the kingdom had come to bring a way for us to be part of that kingdom. And so as Jesus is telling these parables, he's giving invitations for people. I want you to come. I want you to listen. I want you to expect. So even again, think about some of these things. Again, you're in the crowds of people and Jesus is telling this parable and maybe light bulbs are starting to go on or someone beside you, he's, he's elbowing you saying, hey, hey, do you want to know something? That Jesus, son of man, he's the sower and he's beginning to tell you something about the parable and you're like, wow. So this person right here is the son of man, the sower and the seeds and, and you're making all of these conclusions and then you start thinking, wow, this is the Son of Man, the Savior, the Messiah that had been prophesied for centuries. This is the very Son of Man that had left his throne, had come down to earth, was born a miraculous birth from a virgin named Mary, who some of the lowliest of all of their society came to be the very first witnesses that the Son of Man had finally come. This Jesus, the Son of Man, was a boy and he grew up and became a man and lived a perfect life and was tempted in every way as we are and yet was without sin in his life. This son of man, as he's teaching and telling these parables, is a son of man who, although then, because of his perfect life and undeserving of death, went to the cross. He went to the cross in love to give himself for all the world. This is the son of man that because of his death on a cross substituted our place with him, a rightful punishment for sin, saying, I loved you enough to take your sins from you to be forgiven in my replacement for you on a cross. This is the son of man that as he hung on a cross was fully crucified and died. It was a son of man that they took down and they put in a tomb and they sealed it for three days thinking he was fully dead. This is the son of man that on the third day, as the prophecies had said, as Jesus himself had predicted, rose again, conquering over sin and death once and for all. The son of man who appeared first to the women at the tomb and then later to his apostles and then to hundreds of disciples proving that he had come back to life. He's the son of man that says, look, it's real, I've come, I've been resurrected for you. It's the son of man who on the 40th day told his closest disciples that I'm ascending back to my rightful throne, seated at the right hand of the God, the Father on high. And the son of man who promised that one day he would then come back to this earth and he would come for all those who truly heard, who truly placed faith in him as the son of man, the forgiveness of their sins. This son of man, church, is the one who stands before them and tells this parable and says, I have come. I've come to make a way of salvation. I have come and sown seeds throughout the world that they would find good soil for those who would truly hear. So who would truly hear this call today in your lives as you think about the son of man who gave himself for you? 
you know, if you look at the next verse in verse 9 here, what we're going to find is that Jesus knows that not everyone will receive this gospel call. Not everyone truly hearing that day, not everyone truly hearing today would allow the word of God's salvation to come into their life and to transform them that their lives would bear fruit. But look in the verses at how Jesus, in verse 9 and 10, how Jesus still invites them. He still gives this declaration that I have come for those who would truly give their lives to me. And so as we move into this next section here, verse 9 and following, what we find is that Jesus' disciples are wondering, what exactly does this mean? Jesus, can you tell us, why are you teaching like this? Maybe they noticed something different in what Jesus was teaching, but they want to know some of the meanings or answers to the parable today. You know, if you've ever read the Bible and you've wondered, what does this mean or how does this apply to my life? You can take heart today. Jesus' very own disciples come to him with questions. And so as we move into this next section, what we're going to find out is some time has passed. In Matthew's gospel of this parable, he says that some time later, Jesus' disciples come to him. And Luke says later on in private, they come to him. Or sorry, in Mark, he says that. And then Luke, as we read now, the disciples just come to him later and they just want to answer a few questions that they have. And so Jesus is going to answer for them what exactly he means. I want to read for us now the next part of our passage as we look at Jesus' explanation and as he answers their questions. So if you look in verse 9, I want to read verses 9 through 14 for us. And when his disciples asked him what this parable meant, he said, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God, but for others they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. Now the parable is this, the seed is the word of God. The ones along the path are those who have heard then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. And the ones on the rock are those who, when hearing the word, receive it with joy, but these have no root. They believe for a while and in time of testing fall away. And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and the riches and the pleasures of life. And their fruit does not mature. So before we unpack what Jesus means in our explanation today, before we look at these different types of soils, I want to maybe have you look at this parable and go back to verse 9 and 10 and just think about what his disciples are asking. So if, if we were to be reading the dad's joke parable, uh, the translation that maybe some of us love to read that may, on the screen, this is maybe what his disciples are asking us today in the parable. They're saying something like this. Jesus, so what does this mean? What does this mean? So what does this mean, Jesus? This is a little test to see who's really listening. So what does this mean as you tell us this parable? And then Jesus is going to explain to them, well, I'll tell you what I mean, but first he answers their question. He helps them understand this is why you understand and some people yet need to understand or maybe even why some won't understand. And so as you look in your Bibles, he's going to answer their question. He first of all tells them, verse 10, he says to his disciples, his closest disciples, this would have been his 12 apostles, 
This would have been some of the women, as we learn in chapter 8, that were now following him, uh, leaving everything behind because they want, uh, they want to hear Jesus and, and follow in his ministry. And so Jesus answered them and says, to you has been given the secrets of the kingdom of God because you have left everything to come and follow me. You have seen and truly heard me for who I am as the son of man. But some do not see me for that. And Jesus, as you look in your Bible, maybe there's a footnote, but he then quotes an Old Testament passage. It's from the prophet Isaiah, chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. It was a famous passage for Jews. It was one that the early church really hung to and and clung on to because it reminded them that although the preaching of the gospel was going forward, there would be Jews in their lives who would reject Jesus as their Messiah. In fact, Luke wrote our gospel. He also wrote the book of Acts as well. And Luke includes the exact same passage at the end of the book of Acts as a reminder for why people, Jews, are rejecting the gospel message from the preaching of the apostle Paul. He says, remember these words in Isaiah that some would hear and they would not be good soil and they would reject the good news of Jesus. And so the parables that Jesus is telling would be confusing to them. They wouldn't understand They'd hear them as good stories. They just think Jesus is a good teacher. Really interesting. People seem to be gathering. They want to know more, but it's nothing more than that. And so then Jesus begins to unpack exactly what this prophecy means as he goes into this next section. We're going to look at some different soils. And so church, as we move into this section now, I want you to hear the second thing today. So the word has come, but now hear point number two, that the word must be received. The word salvation must be received. We're going to see this in verses 9 through 14, but particularly Jesus in verse 11 begins to unpack those different types of soils. We're going to look at them one by one. In fact, maybe even on our screens, we can just put them up and you can just kind of see how we're going to work through these different soils. And if you're taking notes, feel free to write these down because we're going to walk through how Jesus addresses every soil and we're going to have a different name for it and then learn to think about how we apply this in our life too. So we have a hardened soil. We have the divided heart. We have the superficial heart, the believing heart. These are different types of soil in our lives. And we're going to go through each one, one by one. And the first one that we get introduced to in verse 5, and then later is explained in verse 11 and 12, where we are in our passage here, is what we call the hardened heart. The hardened heart in our lives. It's the seed that falls on trampled soil. It's hard-pressed soil. And we're going to find out what happens to it. In that verse, we see that it disappears. It gets snatched up. This is the heart that outright says about the gospel of Jesus, there's no room for Jesus in my life. There's no room for the gospel of salvation. This heart is hard to the gospel in Jesus, and therefore, because the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to kill and to destroy, like the birds of the air in this parable, the seeds of the gospel are snatched up. And they never take root because the soil is hard. So church, as we think about the soil, we need to be reminded that God is the only one who can allow the heart to be penetrated so that the seeds are awakened to salvation. God is the only one who does this. So for example, in the book of Ezekiel, chapter 36, God gives a word to Ezekiel to remind his people that I, God, do everything. 
I work in them, I move in them, I give in them. And so Ezekiel writes this to God's people, I, God, will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. I will remove the heart of stone from within your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and to obey my rules. God does this work in our lives. It's why years and years later, Paul writes in his letter to the church in Corinth. He says, although we are preaching the gospel, we are laboring that those would come to Christ. We're planting seeds and we are watering. It is God alone who gives the growth. God alone brings salvation. So what that means for us today is that loved one that you've been praying for or you've been evangelizing to, that coworker you've been witnessing to, what they don't need as a solution is more wit or more strategy or finding more ways for you to be more crafty. What they need is the God of the harvest to come into their life and to break the hard heart and to bring in or usher in salvation for them. And so your call today is not to try harder, it's to pray more, to pray to the God of the harvest that he would bring salvation into their lives. But this is not the only heart that Jesus refers to. As the parable goes on, Jesus does more explaining. He says that there are some seeds that fall among the rocks. And we're going to call this the superficial heart. So Jesus first tells of it in verse 6 in our parable. And then he explains it in verse 13 if you're tracking along in Luke here. Now this is going to be the heart that initially receives the gospel of salvation. And Luke says they even receive it with joy in their lives. They receive the gospel of salvation with joy, but when trials and testing come, it withers away. This is the heart that gives up, the faith that is no more. Near where our family lives, we have a number of sod farms. If you know what a sod farm is, unlike an animal farm, it's where they grow grass, right? If you need grass for landscaping, uh, you might go to a sod farm and buy rolls of sod. And I love a good-looking sod farm. And to be able to drive by in the spring or after a sod farm has been well watered, to see perfectly cut, green, 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 and smooth grass is a beautiful sight. And so if you go to a sod farm and if you purchase one of these beautiful pieces of sod, comes in a roll and you bring it home and you put it on your driveway and you unroll it and you begin to water it, what you will find is that after the first few days, the grass is going to look green. And you're going to keep watering it, and you're going to maybe even get to the point where you're going to realize, hey, this grass is growing. And then a few more days go by, and you think, maybe I need to cut this grass that's looking so nice. What you will find is after about a week or so of this sod on your driveway, on concrete or asphalt, is that it will begin to brown, and it will begin to dry, and it will begin to wither away. And so Jesus tells us in this parable, like that piece of sod that is lying on the driveway, that there is a hard and a rocky soil of bedrock deep down below. It's not as though these seeds just fall on gravel, just rocks everywhere. It would have been thin topsoil. And so from our perception then, in a superficial way, what we find is that the gospel is received with joy. The person's arm doesn't have to be twisted. They think, wow, following Jesus, this sounds wonderful. And they give their lives to Christ, or at least it appears to be. But after a season, you recognize that the roots never made it deep. And they, they never matured, and they never germinated. 
And so Luke tells us that this type of soil or this type of heart is the one that has no root, as Jesus says. It lacks moisture. It lacks the ability to be able to grow. But like this type of soil, church, we see this in our world all around us. We see this type of easy believism in Christian culture. We see people who say, if you want to follow Christ, you just pray this short, superficial prayer, and then Jesus saves you by that prayer. Or we see in Christian culture an invitation to follow Christ, and and people neglect the fact that what God calls you to do is to leave everything in your life, all your hopes and dreams and fears and your identity and your plans, to leave it all at the cross, because God wants all of you and not just some of you. It's a Christian culture that cares more about numbers. How many people are coming to church? How many people were baptized? How many people got saved by your movement? All because they're done in the name of rocky soil. And Jesus says that these types of things will never last. When they're tested, they will wither and the soil will be exposed. George Whitfield was a famous preacher that God used mightily in the first great awakening. And he would proclaim the seeds of the gospel over and over in large gatherings where multitudes would come. Crowds would want to hear him preach. He would share these evangelistic messages and George would preach the gospel and afterwards people would come to him and say, wow, George, we were moved by your message. How many people were saved And George Whitfield would often respond to people and say, we will see in a few years. Because that is the heart that finds good soil. It doesn't need to be rushed. It takes time. And it's not superficial. But the third type of soil that we find in our parable today is different even. It's a type of soil that Jesus describes where the seeds fall on thorns or they fall amongst the weeds. And so as we unpack that, we're going to call this the divided heart. comes up first in our parable in verse 7, and Jesus explains it in verse 14, again, if you're following along. This is a heart that is in contention with the world. This is a heart that is tossed to and fro by by all the things that this world has to offer. Tempted. Maybe life is better following the things of this world. It's a heart that, as Jesus tells this parable, seems to receive the gospel in principle. And as we read, even matures through seasons, but then, we recognize, lives in direct competition with the things of the world. So in my life, in the springtime, I love to get outside in our backyard and garden. I love gardening. I love getting my hands dirty and thinking about things that I can grow. Vegetables especially, because they produce fruit that we can eat. And so as I come out in the springtime and as I start thinking about with my kids, what do we want to plant and, and what's the garden going to look at this year and, and, and getting seeds for the garden even, what happens in our backyard also in the spring is that all the maple trees decide to drop their maple keys all at the same time. And in all of the gardens, they get covered with these maple keys. And so I plant the vegetable seeds and I come back here for a few weeks and what I find is the seeds of the vegetables have started to sprout. They're tiny little plants that are beginning. And beside every single one is a little maple tree that has sprouted from these maple keys, and it has started as well. And so what I do is I allow some time to go by to allow the vegetables to able to take root and to just endure with the maple keys, right? That's a parable for a different day. 
Uh, but then there comes a time when I need to go to the garden and I need to, re- I need to remove every single maple key. Because what is happening is they're living in direct competition with the vegetables. They're competing for sunlight. They're competing for moisture. They're competing for the nutrients that they find in the soil. And what happens is if I don't take the maple keys away, in the end, the tallest and the strongest and the ones that are ready to drop all new maple keys are going to outlast the shoot that has begun from the vegetables. And Jesus says, so too is this type of seed that falls in this type of soil. Perhaps it's the person who appears to have committed their life to Christ. Maybe they're relying on a prayer that they prayed years ago when they were a small, small child. Or maybe it's the individual who has grown up in church, but it's really been the church of their parents' faith, not their own. They just go or they're a part of it because they have to. Maybe it's the person who's grown up going to church just a couple times a year, Christmas and maybe Easter, and and just nominally it makes them feel good, and so they feel like, well, I I think I have a pretty good standing with God, or maybe the soil in my life is, is decent. And as Jesus continues, he reminds us that these types of seeds that fall in this type of soil is a life that will never produce fruit. It lives in competition with the world. It's not well-nourished any longer. It's not growing deep. It's not being fed. And so this is the life or the heart or the believer, quotations, who appears to be following after Christ but is living apathetically through their life. And they don't really have a uh, passion or a zeal for Christ. You know, an example of this type of life I want to put on the screens for us is a man named Demas. We find his his references in the New Testament. Um, We find about a man who in the book of Colossians, as Paul's writing to the church in Colossae, he says, Luke, which is the author of our gospel again, the beloved physician, he greets you, as does Demas, this man named Demas. And then we're reminded in Philemon verse 24 that Paul says and refers to him as a fellow worker in the gospel. So he appears to be doing good things. But now look at what Paul writes later in 2 Timothy, and he's warning other believers. He's saying, for Demas, this guy we wrote about earlier, he's in love with the present world, and he has deserted me, and he's gone to Thessalonica. There's an example of seed that appeared to fall into good soil, but something in direct competition with the cares of this world where storing up for yourself things that moth and rust destroy takes you away from Christ. It takes that life away from surrendering everything and allowing the affections of your heart to be after Christ and Christ alone. And so Demas is a relevant example for us. So church, as we're moving through these different parables, it's important for us to understand this. Maybe you've seen this in these types of soils. The first type of seed never takes root. The second type of seed takes root shortly, but then dies after a period and a season and withers away. And the third seed falls in soil where it begins to grow and it appears as though things are going to be well on their way. But then because it's choked by the cares and the riches and pleasures of life, this plant never actually yields or produces fruit. And so as one commentator says, the reason why none of these types of soils are helpful for the sower is because the sower's not looking for grain or the sower's looking for grain and not just survival. It's not about just making it. It's about yielding the harvest with that seed. 
And so as we think about these things, we need to understand then whether it's the birds of the air and the devil that is trying to snatch away your attention and your focus as seeds are planted in your life, as Jesus presents this parable and calls you to truly listen, that every time you come to church to hear the word of God preached over you, as you spend time in the word every day, as you abide in Christ, needing him to lead you in your life, you have to be aware, church, in spiritual warfare, that the devil is trying to kill and distract and deter you from reaching that end goal and growing in Jesus Christ. In fact, so intent on this purpose, I want to put a quote on the screen for us, and how John Piper describes what Satan does in our lives. It says, Satan works overtime to keep people from giving serious attention to the word of God. He may keep you up late on Saturday night so that you can't stay awake during the sermon or Sunday school. He may put a dozen different distractions around you in the service to take your mind away from the message. He may send thoughts into your mind about tomorrow's meeting with your supervisor. If he can only distract you so that the sounds coming out of the preacher's mouth go in one ear and out the other, he will have successfully taken away the word of God and made it ineffectual for you. Inattention is his game. It brings an urgency to the implanting of the word of God in our lives. To recognize that this is what God wants for you, that he might bear fruit in you. And what Satan wants in you is to take any opportunity for you to hear the word of God and to receive the word of God and move it away from you so that you, be, you, so that you are unmoved by the gospel of Jesus. And so then Jesus, after these examples, now comes to our last verse in this parable. And he explains for us what exactly he means. He talks about the good soil and good fruit that comes of it. And church, what we might see even in our lives is that if the good seed of the gospel of Jesus finds good soil, it always brings or bears continuous good fruit in your life. You have that promise today. That if the gospel has found good soil, God will produce fruit in you. So let's see what this means. Our third point today then is that we must hear that the received word will bear fruit. Maybe that's an encouragement for you today. And we call this the believing heart or the seed that finds good soil in its hearers. comes up in verse 8 in our parable. Jesus explains it now in verse 15 at the end of our passage. There's a few things to note about this type of soil. In Matthew and Mark, uh, both of them reference the fruit that comes from good soil. They reference the seed that will produce 30, 60, and 100-fold. Now, again, this is Luke's perspective, right? So as we look in the Gospel of Luke, Luke mentions a hundredfold. This, this would have been an incredible yield for any farmer in their society, a miraculous uh, producing of the seed that had fallen. And so people have to recognize that as they're reading. Wow, a hundredfold would be incredible. But Luke doesn't want us necessarily to think about the amount of harvest or fruit that God's doing in your life, but the fact that he will do it, and it will be continuous, and what the believer does to protect the word or salvation. So I want to help us see a few things here from verse 15. As you look in verse 15, uh, Jesus says, As for that in the good soil, they are those who hearing the word. I'm going to stop there. So good soil means that it is a follower of Christ who has heard the preaching of the gospel, the message of salvation. It's come into their life. They've truly heard. They've received it which means it's not fake. They've given their life to following Christ, and then there's an unpacking of those who do this, who truly hear the word. 
it says in this parable that those lives, those people are those who hold it fast. So maybe this is what the author of Hebrews means when he says, let us hold fast to our faith, but let us hold fast unwaveringly or unswervingly. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope for he who promised is faithful. And therefore, in seasons of trial or difficulty or when the sun comes and yields heat and testing, this is the life or the believer that says, I'm going to hold fast to the promises of God that I am saved in Christ, that my sin is gone, that I have forgiveness of all of my sins. This is the heart also that is pure and needy before God. Maybe like the psalmist says, God, would you give in us, create in me a clean and a pure and an honest heart, O oh God. Give me clean hands and a pure heart. This is the person who's needy for God to enrich their life. This is the heart that is also, as we come to the last few words of this verse, this is the heart of the believer who is bearing fruit, but they're doing it with patience. They're not rushing God to do a work in them. They're not jealous or coveting those around them saying, I wish I could hold those positions or know those kinds of answers. Or when they come to a home group or small group, they say, I, I wish I was a mature believer like this person. Luke says the person who is good soil is the one who says, God is producing in me a work and I will bear fruit with patience. Knowing that God takes me through seasons of refining and growing and sanctifying, but he is doing a work in me. And he will continue to work in me if I rely on him. And so what season of trial are maybe you in today? Where God is calling you to hold fast. Or maybe in our parable today, there's an inward looking into your life saying, God, you've been producing in me 30-fold. But I want this season, I want you to do in me fruit of a hundredfold to those around me. I want them to see fruit of the gospel bearing in my life, that they would be drawn in to say, tell me about your Jesus. Tell me about what God is doing in you. Today in our parable, we understand that all of this is possible because as Jesus begins, it's been made possible by a sower, the Son of Man, who has graciously made way for salvation to us. And so maybe today you're being reminded of the salvation that you have in Christ and the hope that you have because of the sower, sowing the seed of salvation, making a way for you to hear and to truly receive that Jesus has come for you. But maybe you're here today as well and Christ is new to you. You haven't really heard the name of Jesus and you've been hearing this parable. You've been hearing the different types of soil. You've been hearing about the Son of Man who Jesus, God, fully God, fully man, loved you enough that he gave himself on a cross for you. Maybe you are here today thinking, I've never heard this. I've never thought about this. I didn't know God loved me so much. What he calls you to do today, as he says in verse 8, is to truly hear him, to truly see him for who he is. And so as we finish our service, I want to pray for us. I want to pray for us that despite where you are today, God will either continue to produce a fruit in you or God will have awakened you today to truly hear the gospel message to say, I give my life to the Son of Man. I give my life to Jesus. I want the seed to find good soil. God, would you do a work and a producing fruit in me and my life? So I want to pray that over you today as we close. Father God, thank you for the parable of the sower. 
Thank you that we have been made aware that the message of salvation has come through Jesus, the Son of Man. And Father, we are thankful for the gift of your Son, Jesus, because we recognize that although we've been separated from you because of sin, that it was the Son of Man, the Savior of the world, who's made a way to bring us back to God, to allow our lives to bear fruit for your glory. And so God, today for the hearer who has maybe heard this parable before and who has given their life to following Jesus, I would pray in them that maybe God this season in this church or in ministries in this church that you would use them. You would use them to produce fruit 30, 60, 100 fold. That others would give praise to the Father in heaven for what you are doing in them. And God, maybe some are here today, they've been thinking about Jesus, they thought they knew Jesus, they've just heard about Jesus, and I pray that they would, by a miraculous work of God, have a heart that receives with good soil today the seed that you have made available through Jesus Christ. That they would respond in salvation, that they would give their lives to you, they would commit themselves saying, I've never heard this in our world, but I've heard this now because of Jesus. And that you would bring them in and that you would receive them no matter what life they've lived, no matter who they are. But you would receive them and you would take their life and you would transform it. And you would allow them to begin to grow and produce fruit in their life that others too would see maybe small advances and then larger harvests and then larger fruit in their life too. Where their life would change more and more to become like the Son of Man, Jesus Christ. So, Father, move in this place today, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.